filled with the Holy Spirit? What does that mean? Why is it so necessary? Let's talk about it. The Holy Spirit's filling ministry. John chapter 14, verses 16 and 17 is where we're at today on Truth For Today. And the fact that he has a ministry of filling connotes the fact that we need to be filled. So why and how? These are a couple of questions we hope to address and answer today here on Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard from Valley Bible Church here in Hercules. Welcome to our program. You have John chapter 14 opened up. Let's catch up with Pastor Phil for today's broadcast of Truth For Today. After I depart, I will send you another helper. And the word another in the Greek is another of the same kind. The word helper comes from the word called alongside to give aid. So we're looking at what kind of help does the Spirit give? And we looked uh, at several things. We looked, the Spirit is the one that pulls off the new birth in us. He regenerates us, Titus 3. Two, he immersed us, used the word baptized in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, but he immersed us into the body of Christ. So our identity is with Christ. Thirdly, he indwells every believer. If you don't have the Holy Spirit in you, you're not of his. He said, the Spirit will be in you like a mighty river. This spake he of the Holy Spirit, which had not yet been given, for he had not been glorified. John 7, 37 through 39. The Spirit seals us into the body of Christ. The Spirit groans and intercedes for us when our prayer ignorance keeps us from not being able to articulate what we need. And now we've started, as of last week, looking at the work of the Spirit in filling. And we looked at several things. To be, sp- to be filled with the Spirit is a command in Ephesians 5.18. Be filled with the Spirit. A command. Which suggests something. All believers must not be filled with the Spirit for him to command it. See, he never commands you to be indwelt. He never commands you to be sealed. He never commands you to be baptized in the body of Christ. He never commands you, uh, as it were, regenerate yourself. But those are done once for all. Something else about the characteristics of this filling is it's not universal, not all believers at any, any one given moment are under the control of the Spirit. Maybe like your home this week. Uh, it's not universal. It's commanded. And then uh, I think that uh, something that's interesting, the, our translation says be filled. Bad translation. Literally it says be getting yourselves under the control of the Spirit continuously. It's a present tense. It's not a, I was filled with the Spirit in 1950 and I haven't been filled since. Now this is, you are to be living your life moment by moment. In Ephesians 5.18, 
And it was repeated when you read the book of Acts. They were filled with the Spirit in Acts 2.4. In Acts 4, Peter was filled with the Spirit. Stephen was filled with the Spirit. The deacons were full of the Spirit. And you see it right through Acts. It's a repeated thing. Power for service. And we're looking today at power for character. And you have to be getting yourselves under the Spirit's control. Now, let, there's a lot of what's tough on spirit filling is we're never told exactly how to do it. I grew up, you tarry uh, until you talk in tongues. Uh, you wait, you get right. All kinds of formulas out there. Uh, when he said it in Ephesians, he never told them how. He said, just do it. What does this word, let me give you a working definition of filling, what it means. It's certainly not being filled with wine. He's saying, in contrast, what does the wine do when it makes you drunk? You've gotten enough of it that it's controlling your behavior. It's influencing what you do, right? Talk to me. Uh, that Jack Daniels was never invented to quench thirst. Nor Scots. And this wine that they drank, the peasant wine was less than 2% alcohol. And it was great to kill amoebas. They had no water district. Their water was untreated. So, Timothy, drink a little wine for your stomach ailments. Kill the amoebas. So, it's a life-saving drink in the Near East. Without sanitation, without water plants. Wonderful thing. Uh, but, what is he saying? The spirit is a person, not a liquid, not a substance. Get yourselves under his control. Let me suggest to you another use of the word. The word was translated to supply. Paul said in Philippians 4.18, I was in need while in jail, and you supplied what was lacking. You filled up. Now, using that concept, the spirit-filled Christian is an individual who is allowing the Holy Spirit to meet his personal inadequacies on a moment-by-moment -moment basis. In Acts, we see power for service. They did this, that, phenomenal things. And that can happen. But over in Ephesians, he deals with our character walk as he does in Galatians. And that's where we're going. Let's read two passages. Let's look at Romans 8, 1 through 13. And I'm going to just try to interpretively read. But we're going to go to Galatians. That's what we're going to deal with. What the Spirit, consequences or results of Spirit filling. First thing I want to deal with today. Only through the Holy Spirit can you control sin within. Every believer is dangerous. Unless they find out how to control the sin within. Right? And if you don't know that, get married. It's dangerous to live with another sinner. If you don't think they're ever going to live under the control of the Spirit. That's why there's so much divorce and broken homes. People are dangerous to live with day in and day out. Now, listen to Romans 8. Are you there? There is therefore now no condemnation... And that means penalty uh, for those who are in Christ Jesus. Number one, you've got to know that. If I'm in Christ, all divine penalty against me has already been executed. 
Do you get that? This crowd, what's wrong with this crowd? Too much coffee? You ought to shout over that. There are no divine penalties. That's why I'm not afraid of anything in my future before God. Yes. Don't hang me over hell. I've already gone to hell at the cross. I've, in my substitute, God executed his full measure of wrath so that everything I will ever do wrong was executed on the Son within six hours. And most of you don't know that. That's why you don't know what justification means. I am declared right before God because my penalty was borne by my substitute and his righteousness has been put to my account. And if you knew what I just said, you say, Hallelujah! This is the most powerful. This is our gospel. What I just said is the gospel. He'll take a sinner's debt and everything God has against you. And in a moment, he will say, you're right in my sight. How can that be? My son is born. The wrath I have poured out on your sin. And there's no future penalty. I have nothing I need to collect anymore. It was collected at the cross. Of course, I want to preach justification by faith right now, but I'll keep going. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. This law is the sin principle within that he'll call the flesh in Galatians. For what the law, the law of Moses, could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did. Sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And as an offering for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. Notice. So that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. Who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Two ways the law has been fulfilled for us. One, I get credit for Christ having kept the law. When he gave me credit for his righteousness, he said... He made him to be sin for us that we might be made his righteousness. His righteousness was twofold. He was completely obedient under the law. And then he died for the wrath of the law, the penalty. So active, passive obedience, the theologians talk about it. I get full credit for having kept the law. That's a gift standing. And on the other hand, my substitute paid for everything I broke in the law. So either way, I've kept the law. I've died under its penalty, and I've also obeyed all of its commands, but I did it my substitute. Wake up over there. So I'm not under the law. The law neither saves, sanctifies, or justifies. It only says you're a sinner, and you don't know how to keep it. We are not under law. We are under grace. And grace is not licensed to sin. It leads you away from it because of the work of Christ. Who knows if I'll ever reach Galatians. For those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who are according to the spirit, the things of the spirit. He's talking about two people now. One in the flesh, one in the spirit. For the mind set on the flesh is death. But the mind set on the spirit is life and peace. Because the mind set on the flesh is hostile toward God. It does not subject itself to the law of God. For it is not even able to do so. The flesh is a rascal. It will not obey. 
And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. And that's what we were as unsaved people. Our sphere of existence where we were in the flesh. We still have the flesh in us. But before God, we're not seen to be in the flesh. We're spirit people, not flesh people. Just two circles. You're either in the flesh or you're in the spirit. Now, people in the spirit have to still deal with the flesh because the flesh is still in you. But your sphere is standing, I'm a spirit person. If you're a Christian, you're in the spirit. That's your sphere. In Christ, but I'm also in the spirit. Now, watch. However, you are not in the flesh. Well, look at there, it agrees with me. But in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the spirit from Christ, he does not belong to him. If Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the spirit is alive because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So then, brethren, we are under obligation not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you are living according to the flesh, you are about to die. And this is probably eternal death, separated from God. As long as we're living in this sphere, if we die without Christ, hell is the judgment. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Isn't that something? Spirit people put to death the deeds of the body. They count on the fact they're with Christ. They reckon they're no longer available to the sin. They tell sin, my body's not available. I've made myself available to God. You remember what I said, the four conditions of being spirit-filled were? What were they? There were four of them. Number one. Pre what? Presentation. I cleaned it up or was it preparation? Presentation. I am presenting my body for God's disposal. Romans 6, 11, Romans 12, 1 and 2. And present their means to put at another's disposal. Holy Spirit, I start my day this way. I'm at your disposal. My eyes aren't for pornography. They're for Bible reading. My eyes are for my wife, not for my secretary. My members are at your disposal. It's not enough to say no to sin. You got to positively be available for good. What's the second one? Purification. Do you ever deal with the sin God shows you? Or do you just keep putting it under the carpet? And we walk in your life. And there's like a mountain in your life. Because you keep pushing sin underneath the carpet. You've got to confess it. And repent of it. You've got to take sin seriously. If you want to walk in the spirit. Because otherwise you grieve him. And he can't, he can't work through you. Until he works on you. And he'll work on you to get right about sin. Third thing. Reliance. We walk by faith. And Galatians 5, 6 says, there's no circumcision required. The only thing required is faith working through love. Just God's people rely on God to live the Christian life. Not the law, not their own strength, but on God. Fourth thing. Christ-centeredness. I want Christ to be magnified in my body. Philippians 1, 20 through 23. I am living for Christ. My character is being transformed into Christ-likeness. That is where we're headed 
in progressive sanctification. He's making me more and more. What are you doing with me, God? I'm trying to get you to look like Christ. And when I picked you up, you look like mud and sin. And I'm cleansing you, changing you, training you that you will make Jesus visible in a lost world. Can people see Christ in you? Until they can, God's got a lot of work to still do in you. That's the goal. Now, let's go to Galatians 5. Galatians 5. He's telling these Christians, you can't go under the law and live the Christian life. You have too many deficiencies and inadequacies. What, what's your cure, Lord? Verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will absolutely not. It's a double negative. You will absolutely not carry out the strong desires that come from the flesh. The sin principle then. You see, when you get saved, sin remains in you. But Romans 6 says, it does not reign over you. I still have a sin principle, but he said, sin shall not, and basilea, it shall not dominate you like a king. I am not under the dominion of sin. I am under the authority of Christ. I have to deal with sin, but I'm not a slave to it. Because I've met a redeemer that doesn't leave me where he found me. And he says, I'll send you the helper that will deal with this inward, downward bent towards wrong, sin. For the flesh sets its desires against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. It's like you've got these two uh, options. The flesh, the spirit. And we get into this battle, which am I going to yield to? And so no matter, you're under the authority of one or the other. Sin or the spirit. There's, there's no neutral ground. Then, but if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the Mosaic law. We refuse rules for the Christian life because it only makes you rebel more. Rules make people rebel. The spirit-filled life is not a rule-based life. It's faith working with love and walking in dependence on the spirit. And he said, if you love, you fulfilled all the law. I don't consult the law to live the Christian life. I'm not under Moses. I'm under Christ. Now, the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are, and we're going to look at them. There's, there's three words you need to note about the flesh. Verse 19, the deeds of the flesh, you got it? Go down to verse 24. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Now notice there, if you serve, there's three different words that describe the flesh here. Deeds, passions, and desires. Colossians 3, 5 puts them all in one verse. Uh, sin, when it's going to, when you're being tempted to sin and to get this sin principle out in action in you. See, you've all got it. You all look spiritual now because hopefully you're not sinning right now. But you could be. Your thought life could be doing bad things. But when sin wants to get you, according to James, it goes fishing. And it knows there's a sin principle within you. And according to James, 
Temptation throws the bait out there. It's got a hook on it, but, you know, it's fishing to draw you out, to get you to take the bait. And he says, once you take the bait, it's like a conception. All of a sudden, that fish comes. All he sees is sardine or whatever the bait is. Good, good, good. Doesn't know there's a hook there. Doesn't know his life's at stake. All he sees is something to eat that builds, that fits his nature. And boom. Woo! Did I get a prize? You just got death. Sin baits you. It wants to draw you out. Come on. He told Cain, Cain, be careful. Sin is like a crouching, hidden lion ready to pounce on you any moment. And so, he just throws that bait out, and you, and you ignore it, you ignore it. I said, ooh, that does look kind of, mmm, mmm, she is good looking. The bait isn't sardines. It's a lot of stuff. I hate to call that chick you like a sardine, but she might be bait to destroy you. Because you're not strong enough to have the relationship. We don't tell young people not to date because other people aren't attractive. It's just, are you strong enough to have a date and not sin? That's the issue. Most adults can't date and not sin. And we're trying to get all the married folks to date. Their wife. But three things. Passion. The word passion is the word for mood. It's pathema. And it, it's used uh, in Greek up to experience something. It was used of the past and play, bad experience, suffering. But it had another uh, emotional, psychological meaning. And it's found in leading lexicons. It says it refers to the moods of our flesh. Moods, what's that? Experiences, states of mind, our emotional life. I'm in a bad mood. Yeah? What does that mean? Uh, I, I'm, you don't want to talk to me. I, I'm irritable. Uh, I'm ready to engage in conflict. I, I'm, in an, I'm irritable. Leave me alone. I'm in a bad mood. Well, can you do anything for it? Oh, it's just out of control. I need to go do some charging. That always gets me out of a bad mood. Well, when I get the bill, honey, and you're my wife, I'm going to really be in a bad mood. <laughs> See, the moods. And we talk about mood music or uh, moods. Uh, I'm in a cranky mood. I'm in a romantic mood. So moods are a real part of life, our emotional life. But then there's a second thing that happens. Moods trigger strong desires. And when you talk about I'm in the mood for love, well, you obviously didn't take her to McDonald's. That won't put you in the mood. You have to spend a little bit more cash. It triggers strong desires. And that's what's scary about our moods. Watch out. If you don't watch a cranky mood, a sensuous mood, or whatever kind of mood, then you're ready to pounce on a strong desire. And then that strong desire, it can be there, and you're wrestling with it. Then you make a choice. I'm going to do a deed to fulfill the desire because I'm acting out of negative moods. Life forever in Jesus Christ. 
That's the title of our series here in the book of John. And we trust our time together today has encouraged you in Christ as we work our way through this wonderful gospel. It is our hope and prayer that chapter 20 and verse 31 will come to bear on your own heart and mind, that you understand why John wrote what he wrote for the purpose of believing and having life eternal in Christ. To review a copy of today's program or to obtain the entire series, we would ask you to get in touch with us here at Truth For Today, and there are a couple of ways to do so. You can call us at 855-833-9864, or you can stop by our website, valleybible.org, and take advantage of the resource materials that we have posted there as well. You're also welcome to write to us at 1511 M. Sycamore Avenue, Suite 278, Hercules, California, the zip code 